Good morning, everybody. Love on your neighbor there next to you. Say, I'm glad to be sitting next to you this morning. Praise God. I hope you're doing well this morning. <clears throat> and uh, it's so good to have you here. If you're a guest of ours, we want to thank you especially for being here. And if you uh, would like to talk with somebody after service, there'll be somebody at the welcome desk, or I myself will be up here up front after. If you'd like to come check us out, we'd love to get to know you if you're new. And uh, just get you, get, get, to get you connected somehow or another. So again, Next Steps is today. If you're interested in that, we'll hang out directly after service. Go over here to the conference room if you're interested in getting involved in that as well. we got small groups kicking off here uh, next Sunday. They will officially begin. And we've had a lot of people sign up. Here's what I'll say. If, you, if you've not signed up, please go ahead and do that. It's, we try to do our best to get people in groups that will suit them based on days and kids and all of that type of thing. And sometimes it's challenging. But if you're just like adamantly against getting in a small group, I would encourage you to, at the very least, buy the book that we're going through and listen to the podcast on the small group so that you can work through that process with us together. It's a good book. It's called uh, uh, Practicing the Way by John Mark Comer. And we'll be having a weekly podcast on our podcast set up as we work through that. Uh, but but take a risk. Get in a small group. Check it out, and we'll we'll try to finalize on some of the things. We may have to make some changes on some of the small groups this week, but we're excited about those starting this week. Praise God! You guys excited? Yeah. Hey, Amen. You look excited. Yeah, there we go. I always count on Jeremy, son. <laughs> Praise God. Love that energy, boys. So this morning we're going to continue in this sermon series on the pursuit, and I want to speak to you this morning about consecration over compromise. And I will uh, be preaching from 2 Timothy chapter 2 to begin with, verses 20 through 22. Let's read this and then pray together. It says, Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you, God for your grace and for your mercy toward us, Lord, because it was when we were sinners that you chased us down and you came and you saved us. And we thank you for the redemption that, that you offer. And Lord, we just come to you this morning and say, God, have mercy on us who are sinners, Lord. We need your grace and we need your mercy and we need your help. But God, the truth is that you didn't just simply to redeem us, to punch us a ticket to heaven, God, but you redeemed us so that we could be holy before you and that you could use us for your glory and for your honor in this world. There's a purpose that you have for us, God. And so as we unpack your word, I pray, Lord, that you enable me to speak the truth of your word in love so that people would be convicted, God, but they'd also be encouraged to pursue you like they never have before, God, because that's what we want to do in this hour of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. I really believe that uh, God is preparing a people in this hour. And, you know, as I, we've been praying and fasting here at the beginning of the year, like I said, I, almost, I feel like I have faced a lot of spiritual resistance. I feel like as I've sought the Lord here at the beginning of the year, I have had mental attacks and different things like that, and I never want to glorify uh, the work of the devil and how he operates, but you still got to be aware that he is operating. Amen. You still have to have an awareness that you are in a battle. You are in a war. The world itself, your flesh... And, and, and demons and the devil are out to corrupt your heart and your soul and your devotion and your consecration to God. But God is seeking to prepare a people because I believe that we're entering into a dark hour in the world. And sometimes that can be very discouraging. We can look at the world and we say, man, this is not looking good. And really, I don't want to hear about it. I would rather hear good things and sort of shove my head in the sand. But God is saying, no, we're, we're coming into an hour that's a lot like Elijah. I'm looking for somebody that will go down by the brook Cherith and separate themselves 
themselves and say, God, I'm here for your use. If nobody else is going to follow you, I'm ready to stand in the gap and I'm ready for your spirit to fill me and I'm ready to stand against the falsehood and the lies of the enemy that's standing up in our generation. He's looking for people like that and he's seeking to prepare people like that. I mean, I, I feel like I've, I've, I've had a great relationship with the Lord. We've had our ups and downs. But it's almost like the Holy Spirit is coming to me and say, Son, you know, I'm proud of you. You've done well, but I've still got more for you. I've still got a deeper walk that I want you to come into. There's some things in your life, Clay, that even as a pastor, especially as a pastor, you need to cut out and you need to pay attention because I want to use you in ways like you've never imagined, but I need you to make sure and understand that you can't allow this temple to be corrupted and defiled. You have to make sure that you are setting consecration above compromise. Because this world, that's what Satan is trying to do. He's trying to get us to compromise on any little thing that he can find. And that's what he is trying to do because he wants to weaken the power of God in our life. And I think if we don't understand the context in which we're called to follow Jesus, we will struggle how to figure out how to be faithful. Because you have to understand that in our world, in our, our world being dark is one thing. The world is always dark. But it's different when the church begins to become dark. And I believe that in our time that we're living in a time of great compromise in the church. If you actually look around and see what's going on. Every major denomination in the United States right now, except for the Assemblies of God, is in rapid decline, which is interesting. A lot of that, I think, is due to compromise that is happening within the church. David Wells said this, he said, worldliness... You say, well, Clay's preaching holiness this morning, son. He's getting after you. You can't use... You know, worldliness is a word that is even rejected in the church today. You don't want to call things worldly because people don't like that. It makes them feel uncomfortable. You know, all of that type of thing. It's because we've compromised. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. So worldliness is what any particular culture does to make sin seem normal and righteousness seem strange. The normalization of sin is what happens in cultural decline and what the Bible describes as worldliness. And here's the thing, Jesus died. Jesus loves us more than you could ever imagine. The Bible says that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have eternal life. And when God looks at the world and the defilement and the sin and all of the evil things that are happening, what He still sees are the people that He loves and is willing to go and die on a cross to save. That's what He sees when He sees the world in defilement. And I think sometimes as the church we can get in a little bit of self-righteous anger to, toward the world that is living in sin. But the world has always lived in sin. You lived in sin. I lived in sin. And Jesus came and died to set us free from that sin. So He loves the people in the world, but He's come to deliver us from the power of that world and draw us out and redeem us. This has always been what He's, what he's come to do. But when a culture is particularly worldly, it starts to put pressure on the church to conform to its image. Have you ever sensed that? Like, even in our world today, it seems like if you watch mainstream Christianity, and here's what's interesting, and this is why I preach this, because uh, really in Clay County, you say, well, we're not like that in Clay County. Yeah, that's fine, and that may be true. Maybe, maybe a lot of churches in Clay County haven't compromised. But the problem is, is you don't hear a lot of sermons from other churches in Clay County. You get on TikTok, you get on Instagram, you watch TV preachers. Amen. The majority of your content probably is not even the pastor that you listen to. It's the TV that you watch. It's those, all of these things are mainstream and they're pushed out into the world. And the world begins to put pressure on the church to in little small compromising ways conform to its image. And one of the ways that you find this popping up is, number one, in, in theological compromise. And I know it's a little bit deep, but it's just slow and it's subtle of giving in on certain things. And probably the biggest compromise that I see in the church today at large is, is simply trusting in the authority of the Bible. That this is the Word of God, that it is truth. And can I tell you this? You need to understand this, that Satan absolutely hates the Bible and will try to undermine it on any little detail that he can because he knows that that book is filled with promises about your destiny. He knows that if you actually believed the truth that is in there and learned how to rightly interpret it and discern it and rightly divide it and understand it, he knows that it would unlock who you were designed to be. 
He knows that it would unlock a power where you could have literally a gateway from heaven where the Holy Spirit fills you and you become something so different than this world. Just like Caitlin said, that when people see your life, they say, man, there's a power here from somewhere else. This is otherworldly. This isn't just like everybody else around them. He knows that in that book it's filled with the truth that will set you free and he knows it's filled with the gospel and ultimately the hope of humanity. And he knows if, you, if he can sever you from that book, if he can sever you from the scripture, he will sever you from the source of truth and you will slowly but surely become prone to believe lies. You will believe lies about God. You will believe lies about yourself. You'll be, believe lies about your future and about your destiny. You'll believe lies about what, what's right and what's wrong. And all of a sudden, you start to compromise. And if he severs you from that, you're left to subjective truth. And this, is, this has been from the beginning. You do remember what Satan said in the very beginning, the serpent, when he comes into the Garden of Eden to tempt all of humanity. What is the thing that he said? The first thing that he says is, Did God really say... Did God really say that? Are you sure that's not outdated? Are you sure that's what he meant? And he just, all he has to do, he doesn't have to blatantly attack it and put up something that is totally contradictory. He just has to sow a seed of doubt in your heart for you to begin to question the word of God and the truth of God. And then truth becomes subjective. You can be your own God knowing for yourselves and deciding for yourselves what's good and what's evil. And you buy the cultural lie that what's good for another person may be evil for this person, what's evil for this person may be good for this person, and you corrupt truth until all of a sudden we don't know what to believe anymore. And we follow the law of just cultural niceness. You do you, I do me, and then we'll just get along just fine. But that's not how it works. And God calls us into truth ultimately because He loves us, not because He hates us, not because He wants us to be bigot, bigots, not because He wants us to be angry and self-righteous, but because He loves us and humbly He asks us all to live by the truth and to proclaim the truth in love. But see, people are also doubting the power of the cross. They believe people in New Age religion and all of these different types of things, they believe that Jesus was a wonderful guru, that he had tapped into some kind of enlightenment. But what they do is they offset the power and the victory of the cross. That Jesus Christ came specifically and primarily to deal with the issue of your sin. But see, we hate to, to, to accept the fact that we are sinful people needing a transformation in our literal heart and nature that flows out in our behavior in this world we don't like that we want to be able to do what we want to do and be affirmed in that but see jesus died on the cross and it was horrific and it was bloody because your sin is horrific and bloody and so but people deny the cross jesus is a great guy to follow but let's just follow his teachings let's not call people sinful in need of repentance in need of a savior jesus died on the cross for you to be saved people also challenge the exclusivity of jesus and the basic theme is that it is terribly offensive to believe that there's only one way to believe. I, I, I jump on Oprah a lot, but she impacted my life in a peculiar way. <laughs> what? <laughs> really, Clay? That's interesting. Uh, but, 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 you know, she has su such influence in the world, and I can remember when I, when I dabbled in New Age a little bit that she was a, she was a large proponent in that. But she, was, she, she would talk about Jesus, she loves Jesus, but she would emphatically say he cannot be the only way. But see, we believe that Jesus Christ is actually the, the way, Amen. the truth, and the life. And we cannot mix as a church other things in and start to believe. Because here's the thing. If you start to believe that there are multiple ways and all this, you're not going to preach the gospel with love in your heart and, and be compelled to reach the world for Christ. You're going to allow them to do whatever they want to do without any kind of, uh, of compelling love in your heart to say, no, 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 Jesus is the way. Do not be deceived by the devil. That, that's the truth and the reality. Do not be deceived by these things because Jesus is actually the way and he's come to save you. But here's, here's what 2 Timothy says in chapter 4, verse 1 through 4. I'm reading these scriptures this week and I think, man, these, these are strong. <laughs> it says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, I received this like the Lord was speaking it to me and it cut me deep. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Imagine standing before God the Father and Christ Jesus and the Lord speaking to you and saying, He's going to judge the living and the dead. And in view of His appearing and of His kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. Two out of three of those are kind of harsh, aren't they? It's like, 
Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people won't put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around themselves a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside the myths. So in our world among the church at large, I think there's a shift from divine doctrine that comes from heaven to desire-driven doctrine. It's not, what is God saying and what do I need to submit my heart to? Can I tell you this, boys? My flesh, rest, I wrestle with my flesh and with the devil just like anybody else. And there are times when I come before God and what I'm hearing in the Word of God and what He's calling me to, my flesh does not want it. My desires are for other things. But God still calls me, and I know and I've understood at this point that what He calls me to, He calls me to in love. Not because He's angry, not because He wants to hold out on me, but He wants me to fulfill my destiny and my calling so that it will resound throughout all of eternity. But when we listen to the voice of the world and we listen to the voice of the enemy and our flesh grabs a hold of us and we become lazy in our spirituality and we stop seeking God, all we want to hear is somebody to make us feel good about what we want to do. And it's about not how can I submit to what God says, but how can I create a God who says what I want. How can I create a God that says, and you know what, maybe we can actually find teachers and heap them around ourselves to tell us the things that make us feel better about ourselves rather than glorify God in us. And so one one of the primary prayers that we need to be praying is, God, give me discernment in this hour. Give me discernment to know truth from error, to understand if this spirit behind this issue is is, is of God or if it's of something else and and if it's coming in. A.W. Tozer said this, I contemplated whether or not cutting this this, uh, particular quote. (laughs) It's strong. The vague and tenuous hope that God is too kind to punish the ungodly has become a deadly opiate for the consciences of millions. It's numbed us because we actually in culture have this view of God. Our view of God in culture is kind of like he is your wild and crazy uncle who shows up and pulls you to the side and hands you a beer and a cigarette and says, don't tell your parents. I mean, that's, that's really our view of God, that He's just going to be nice to you at all costs, no matter what you do, and that ultimately you're not going to stand before judgment and have to face the consequences of what you've done in your body. And, and we will. And it's such a healthy thing. I know, I know in our world people do not want to hear that, but the healthiest thing in my life is that I get to set before God in prayer who loves me more than any being on this planet. And I sense that love and I know that love, but ultimately I am still accountable to Him in that love. That He's going to hold me accountable for what I do, for what I say, for what I speak, for what I think, that, I, that there's something that's going to come. And I thank God for his, his grace and I thank God for His blood because it's not something that we should consciously, constantly be tormented over and fearful of, but a healthy fear of God in a world that has gone in a different direction is such a healthy thing to have in our lives. Amen. Because it exerts pressure on you to stop believing. All of this stuff exerts pressure on you to stop believing what the church has always taught throughout history according to the scriptures and all of a sudden we believe say well we got to mix a little bit of culture in just to be relevant and to be sensitive to what other people are dealing with and we adopt a view of god and of jesus that's not actually in the bible number two is moral compromise this guy theo hobson he said there's three marks of the moral revolution he said what was universally condemned is now celebrated what was universally celebrated is now condemned and now those who refuse to celebrate are condemned that when you don't celebrate unrighteousness now you're actually condemned for not celebrating unrighteousness and there is such cultural pressure to conform and it tricks you into believing that you're a hateful person if you don't conform I'm telling you that if you stand for truth and love you are one of the most loving individuals in this hour and that's a difficult thing to understand because we should walk in mercy and humility and compassion. Man, we should never be judgmental and hateful toward those that are without, no matter what sin they are committing. We should love these people passionately. But love is never compromising truth. And there's, there's a fine line there. There's a distinction there that we have to begin to understand. You know, I'm, I'm a 1 Corinthians 5 guy. I don't believe that it's the job of the church to sit and berate the world. That's what what the scripture says. It's not our job to judge the world. 
It's our job to win the world with the gospel and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what our job is, actually it says to judge the church. When people in the, in the church say, well, you, you shouldn't judge me. No, it's our job to, honey. <laughs> it's our job to, actually. Like, we should take an evaluation of, are we living for, for Christ or are we living for the world? And it's done in love. It's not, it's not done in vindictiveness. It's not about gossip or talking behind somebody's back. But it's evaluating and understand who are they living for? What are we living for? Are we moving in the direction of Christ? And we can go to them in love and humility to restore a person. But see, what happens is, inside the church, God's people have an obligation, like Caitlin said, to be distinct. And my problem is not that the world is sinful. The world's always going to be sinful. My problem is when the world starts to dictate to the church how to do life, how to, what, what we should believe about sexuality, what we should believe about the Bible, and the church embraces it and teaches it from the pulpit. That's when we begin to have issues and the church is defiled and we slowly lose our power and we wonder why the church is in decline. Thirdly is leadership compromise. This is when leaders give in to sex, money, and power. And all you got to do is wait around and next week you'll find another scandal. And the week after that there'll be another scandal. And what that does is because leaders compromise Slowly but surely, people lose hope and lose trust in the church itself, and it gives people reason to berate the church and think, well, people are just hypocrites, and everybody's suspicious of everything. They just want money, et cetera, et cetera, right? These things come because there's leadership compromise. Number four is personal compromise. Maybe you began somewhere with a fire for God. And here's, here's what I want to say to some people. Like, I know that many of you, you're, just, you're like beginning a relationship with Jesus. And, 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 I'm, and you're thinking, man, I, I don't know. Like, Clay's been preaching some stuff right here. And it's just like, it's strong. And I don't know if I want to own up to that. I'm telling you that Jesus, will, I, Jesus walked with me in absolute compromise for, for an entire year. Loving me, restoring me, extending his grace to me, extending his mercy to me. And can I tell you that? This, that even as a pastor, in his love, he still continues to lovingly reveal my compromises to me. I still compromise. I still have issues. And I still have, so no matter where you're at, don't think, man, this is too hard. I can't do this. The grace of God is sufficient for you. His mercy is never failing. You can fall seven times and get right back up again because every time you fall, you fall in the righteousness of Christ who loves you and gave himself for you and will never let go of your hand. So we're not berating anybody because they fall or because they fail. They will fail. All I'm saying is that in your failure, do not allow compromise to set in because Christ has more for you. That's what I'm trying to say. So never get it twisted and come up under condemnation and say, well, man, Clay just preaches it too hard and he's demanding too much. And what about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ will pick you up over and over and over again. And he'll never leave you nor forsake you no matter how bad you struggle. But can I tell you, there's more for you. This is what he's inviting us into. And it, we begin with a fire, but you know what? And this is, this is me. I began with a fire and I noticed, you know what? I couldn't find many around me that would stoke that fire that I had. And I thought, well, man, maybe I need to be more like everybody else around me. Compromise here. Compromise there. Y'all ever done this? I had a fire for Jesus, but I, nobody else is on fire. You compromise your prayer life. Relax, man. Take it easy. There's no need to be radical. Prayer and fasting, we didn't do that in my old church. It's a little too much. Like, why do we really have to do that? You don't have to do these things, my friends. You get to do these things. It is a privilege in the kingdom of God to make sacrifices and, and have gifts of things like prayer and fasting. That's your flesh talking to you. God invites you, and these things are gifts. But anytime, can I tell you this too? Anytime a man gets serious about God, he's going to face demonic resistance. When you make a decision to say, God, I'm going to consecrate myself to you, I'm going to sacrifice for you, I'm going to push into you, the devils get aware and they say, no, 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 friend. I'm going to do whatever I can. I will unleash hell on you and assault you until you finally compromise and say, all right, I'm done. I'm not pushing into God anymore because it doesn't work that way. Can I tell you that we are made for a battle? We are in a war. What God has told me is, son, it ain't supposed to be easy. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it. This is a narrow road. It's a difficult path. 
His yoke is easy and his burden is light and there is supernatural grace and sustainment and energy. But can you imagine the Apostle Paul getting beat for his faith day after day every time he preached the gospel? This is designed to be challenging. You are in a war and you have to get a mindset for war. Because when you start to pursue God, there's going to be demonic resistance and God will allow it. Why? Because he needs to make a warrior out of you. He needs to shape you into a kind of instrument that he can use for the advancement of his kingdom. He needs to move you into greater holiness and even love. He'll let people hurt you so you can learn how to forgive them. Amen. Every new generation, though, they come and Satan is constantly trying to resist all of the people of God, but God is constantly giving a reforming energy to the church. And you know, here's the thing. You find, find me a 20-year-old that's in college that just got radically saved. You hand them a New Testament and they read the New Testament. They do not come out of that place of reading the New Testament with a progressive, watered-down Christianity. I remember when I first got saved when I was 20 years old, I read the New Testament through and I was wrecked by it. The weight of it, the heaviness, my sin on my life, but the grace of God pursuing me and breaking through into it. And then I remember starting to visit churches, and I went to like a couple of big mega churches in Lexington. And I walked in and I saw what was happening, because I wasn't much of a church guy at that, but I walked in and I saw what was happening, and then I heard the messages preached, and I thought to myself, they can't be reading the same Bible I just read. <laughs> They cannot be. How is it that I read something that was the strong... It, it was like drinking the blackest, stoutest, 350 milligram coffee you have ever drank in your life and walking in and listening to a man preaching watered-down decaf. That's what I felt like. And I was like, he can't be reading the same book. He actually like, took the softest scriptures you could find and then figured out a way to manipulate them and make them even softer. He's delivering up Charmin on a platter in here. Yeah. I, I thought to myself, if, if, if I had listened to this rather than read the New Testament, I would still be in my sin. Yeah. I wouldn't have had a chance for repentance because it wouldn't have been exposed in my life. Yeah. The Word of God is like a fire. It's like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. And I stand before you today declaring that I am a sinner in need of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I would never preach to you from a place of self-righteousness, but I know the Holy Spirit is crying out in our generation and saying, please allow me to speak this word of truth to you because I need you to be who I've called you to be. And it may hurt for a minute, but if you'll let me cut that cancer off of your life, you'll find wholeness on the other side. And this is what God is trying to do. He wants to bring us out of this deceptive little compromise that creeps in. Every new generation, God gives reforming energy, but the church that's compromised sees reforming energy and fire and passion and new, new converts as, a, as a, honestly a threat. They try to figure out ways to calm that, silence that. We don't want to hear that. I was reading something, I was reading in Amos this week, and I found something amazing. Uh, but, but here's what it is. They seek to corrupt the Nazarites. Have y'all ever heard of what the Nazarites are? In Numbers chapter 6, there were people that could take a Nazarite vow. And God says, you can take this vow, and they're called to basically do three things. Okay, they're, 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 they're going to live a season of disproportionate commitment to the Lord, and it's marked by three things. You couldn't drink wine or strong drink. Matter of fact, you couldn't even eat grapes. Number two, you couldn't touch dead bodies. And number three, you had to let your hair grow out. You say, well, that's strange. Surely we don't have to do that today. No, we don't have to do that today, but I think it, I think it resembles something. Now, it, it's interesting to understand. Here, here, it wasn't required. It was voluntary. People could do it, and God would use that kind of consecration to raise people up in spiritual power. Now, here's the thing. Wine wasn't a sin in and of itself. Matter of fact, if you read the Jewish, if you read the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, wine was considered a, a form of blessing. But here was the problem with wine. You had both the fact that it was a blessing, but also the fact that there was line that could be crossed with it, right? And so there was warnings, but also blessings that came with such a thing. And in our lives, what we've got to understand is that there's so many things that God has given us that can simultaneously be good, but then there's a line that you cross and it becomes evil. This happens with something like wine, for example. It also happens with things like technology in our generation. It happens with things like sex in our generation. 
It happens with things like food in our generation. Things that are innately good and can be a blessing, but there's a line that can be crossed where it all of a sudden enslaves you and you're consumed by the spirit of this world behind it and God's not free to do what He wants to do in your life. Amen. So you understand that, that there, there's, a, there's an element of that. So it's, it's, it's not that he was saying, hey, nobody can ever do these things ever. He's saying, no, 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 I want you to be so consecrated that you bring the line even further back so that you know, God, we're not crossing the line. And so what we're going to do for a season is we're going to seek you so passionately where we cut certain things out of our lives and we're not going to touch anything dead. See, here the question is not, it's not, well... Can I do this or can I watch that or can I view this or can I listen to that? Yeah, you can do that. The question isn't can you or can't you. The question is, is it bringing death or is it bringing life? Is it beneficial to you? Is it drawing you closer to Jesus or is it dulling your spiritual sensitivity? And the hair not being cut was just a symbol of consecration. Do you remember Samson in the Bible? He was... He was, in the time of judges, man, great moral decline, rebellion against God. They're submitting to other gods. God says, I got to raise up a dude. He's going to be a Nazarite from his birth. Samson, Nazarite from his birth. And he says, he's not going to drink strong drink. He's, 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 gonna cut his hair. he's not going to cut his hair. He can't touch any dead bodies. And you remember, he's living this life of consecration to the Lord. And what does he have because of it? Supernatural power. The dude slew a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. I mean, he walks in radical power. This symbolizes spiritual power and spiritual strength that he has. And there was a woman that come in named Delilah. Bless the Lord. Her very name means to weaken, to slacken, to bring low, or to be feeble. And can I tell you this, that in your spiritual life, there are seducing spirits that look beautiful, my friend. And they have a beautiful voice. And they just slowly say, hey, what's the, spirit, what's the secret to your spiritual strength? I believe it's your consecration. I believe it's your devotion to God. Well, let me just, just kind of lay you to sleep and seduce you into this pattern where you just sort of go to sleep. And you, and you notice, Samson just started making slow compromises. He ate some honey one time out of a line. He's not supposed to be touching a dead carcass, but he did. He's sleeping with these women, and he ain't supposed to be doing that, but he did. And he slowly begins to compromise until she whispers sweet nothings into his ear like the world and the culture does. Until finally he says, you know what? The secret to my strength is my hair. You cut my hair, I'll be like any other man. And he thought that he wouldn't lose the power, but when she cut his hair and his consecration to the Lord and his devotion to the Lord was gone, he woke up and shook himself as before, but this time he realized the Spirit of the Lord had left him. He had not the power to resist the demonic strongholds that were coming for him, and he was in bondage. They put him in prison, and they put his eyes out so that he could no longer see. He's grinding in the prison house. Now, thank God for his grace and thank God for his mercy because in the end, God empowers him one last time when he repents to destroy the Philistines and to bring back victory because God is good. But you've got to understand, there's seducing spirits that are after you. Can you name them? Can you find them? Amos prophesies against the corruption of the people of God because he said, y'all are oppressing the poor for a pair of sandals. He said the father and son are actually sleeping with the same woman. Y'all, y'all got to read more Bible, y'all. I mean, it, it just, it's, it's, like, it's, like a, it's like a sitcom. It, it's, wild. it's wilder than Netflix. <laughs> Amos 2, 11 and 12, he said this, I also raised up prophets from among your children and Nazarites from among your youths. He said, I started taking the children and I, and I brought them to a place of consecration. They were on fire for me. He says, is this, is this not true, people of Israel, declares the Lord? But you made the rat Nazarites drink wine and commanded the, the prophets not to prophesy. Basically, he's saying, what happened is, you got the use, and you saw that spiritual passion. You were afraid that it would convict you of your sin, so you tried to get them to drink wine to defile them so that they would quit speaking the word of the Lord because you didn't want to hear it. And that corruption came in among the people of God. And he said, all these people, you don't have to be that separated for the Lord. That was just something they did in the Old Testament. And, and you don't have to like separate yourself to the Lord. You can touch dead things. Yeah, here, come over here, have a little wine, my friend. You know what I'm saying? Like, and, and just trying to corrupt the use of that generation. And if one person said, no, I'm going to walk with God, and they begin to prophesy and this, say, this is what the Lord declares, they'd say, shut up, we don't want to hear that. We want somebody who's going to speak what we want to hear. They say, not prayer, but pleasure. Not fasting, but indulgence. Not purity, but worldly passion. Bishop J.C. Ryle said, there is a common 
worldly kind of Christianity in this day, which many have, and they think they have enough. A cheap Christianity which offends nobody and requires no sacrifice, which costs nothing and is worth nothing. Strong, isn't it? But see, courage will lead, lead you to a vision of consecration with the Lord. And once again, I, don't want, I never want anybody to leave in here beat down. We're in this thing together, but I do believe that God is calling us all to a greater dimension and level of consecration. And what consecration is, is it's the way we dedicate ourselves to the things of God through specific sacrificial acts. And when you look at consecration throughout Scripture, what you see are three primary things, cleansing, sacrifice, and dedication. Every firstborn male would be consecrated to the Lord. The priests were consecrated. They were set apart to the Lord for a specific purpose. There were seasons, just like the Nazarites, where you would consecrate yourselves to the Lord and you would give something up, kind of the way that we do every January. There's seasons where we go into a disproportionate level of consecration. Samuel, Samson, John the Baptist, these men lived separately. You remember John the Baptist went into the wilderness, dude ate wild locusts and honey. He lived differently. Joshua 3, they consecrated the whole community. He said, consecrate yourselves, set yourselves apart, don't touch anything defiled, because tomorrow the Lord is going to do miracles among you. There was a time of great decline in the book of Joel, and Joel says, consecrate yourselves through a fast. So this is not just a self-righteous cleansing to clean yourself up. This is applying the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ to your life in such a way that it starts to work out practically. You start to say, Jesus, I thank you that I cannot clean myself up, but I confess my sin and I receive your forgiveness and your blood cleanses me. But I also believe that with that blood, you gave me the power of the Spirit so that I could start to live and walk out even as you live. So I want to give greater dimensions of my life to you and I want to lay my life down. This is what consecration is. Number one, consecration is to a person. It's relational in nature. It's not just some religious obligation. Can I tell you that fasting is not for the purpose of fasting so you can have a spiritual check. Fasting is a gift that God gives us or prayer is a gift that God gives us to bring us in a deeper relational walk with the person Jesus Christ. I told somebody I failed more fast than I've kept. It's not about whether or not you keep them. I can't keep much on my own to be honest with you. But it's not about me. I pursue him with the strength that I have and I rely on him for the grace to give me more strength to pursue him. But ultimately, it's about what Christ has done for me and I fall on that over and over and over again. But Titus 2, 11 through 14, notice what this says. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And what this grace does, verse 12, is it's training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. That right there might be my favorite few verses, I'll be honest with you. The grace of God that brings salvation to all people has appeared and it's training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly lusts and to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. That's what he says. And he says, God has saved you from wickedness for the purpose of purifying you as a special possession for himself. You are a royal nation, a, a holy priesthood, a chosen generation. His own special possession is what it says. So like, you know those guys around here, they love guns. We call, we call Jeremy Bad Benelli Baker because he's got a sweet Benelli. You hang out with some of them guys, man, they'll hand you a gun and be like, golly, somewhat a gun. And you know what? When, the Lord, when you go to the Lord's house, it's like you show up and he says, boys, come on here and I'll show you something. And he pulls you out. He says, this is my special, look at this thing right here. You know what I'm saying? This is my weapon right here. But this is a gun that is beautiful. It is my own special. You are God's very own special possession. He shows you off when people come over. He shows you off when people come over because he says, you know what? My grace has shown up in their lives and it's training them to renounce ungodliness and to come out from among this world system so that they can be redeemed and set apart for my use and they're my special possession and now I'm preparing them for good works on the earth that transforms the world. Man, to think of this. This is why, this is why I've got to a place spiritually where I don't care anymore when the Lord makes me feel a little bit rough. 
Because I know on the other side of the conviction is purpose and life. And it's about a person. It's about Jesus Christ. The Bible is a love story. And can I tell you this? God is far more like a lovesick lover going after his beloved than he is a moral policeman looking to write tickets. I can say that again. Somebody quote that. That's like a Facebook post right there. God is far more a lovesick lover going after his beloved than he is a moral policeman looking to write tickets. He's not, it's the, the, the sermons like this are not about writing tickets on you and saying, look at what you ain't doing. Look at what a piece of trash you are and how unspiritual you are. That's not ever what God wants to do to his beloved. He does not speak that over his children. In love, though, he calls them and he invites them and he says, I'm inviting you into something even greater. There's, yes, I've purchased your salvation. You get to be with me for eternity, but there's still something greater. You're my special people. I'm purifying. I'm doing a work in you. Why? Because I need to do something in you greater. And it's no longer just about you going to heaven, but it's about my power flowing through you so other people can make it there too. Man, this is, what, this is the gift that he's calling us into. It's even if you study the Bible, this is what it teaches, Revelation 19. In the beginning, there's a wedding. In the end, there's a wedding. And it says, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory. Why? Because the wedding of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. What consecration is, is understanding that you are the bride of the Lamb and that you are getting yourself ready. How many of you women, when you was getting ready to to get married like you hit a plan you know what i'm saying like you had a budget you were fixing stuff up you decided i gotta lose 15 pounds i'm gonna get a dress that don't even fit me and i'm gonna figure out how to get into that thing anybody in here do that you're getting ready aren't you that's why we sing that song we're getting ready what the Christian life is, is getting ready for that consummation with Jesus Christ. We want to be prepared without spot and without blemish. We want Him to look on us as being radiant. This is going to set way better with the women, but you know what I'm talking about. That when He looks on us, He says, that's my beloved. That's the one that I adore. He's, she's made herself ready. She's been on the Peloton. You got to throw a little something in there every now and then. She's making herself ready, though. This is an engagement period where we're getting ourselves ready. And here's the thing. When you engage yourself to someone, if you do it the right way, you say no to every other possibility. You get off of dating apps. You say, I'm, I'm, I'm only going after this one. I, I'm not looking for other people to look upon me with desire. I want this one to look upon me with desire. I'm not living for anyone else. And this is what consecration is about. You're now being trained through consecration for eternal communion with a God who loves you more than you could ever imagine. Number two, consecration is to a purpose. We just got one more out of this, so we're working through it. It's getting good. 2 Timothy 2, 20 and 21, I read this in the beginning. Consecration is to a purpose. Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable use. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable... He will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. When I was a little boy, my, my granny collected china. And I don't know that we ever used it. Dad, you remember that? Did we ever use that china? No, no, no. It was in a cabinet, son. Nice plates, fine plates. I always thought maybe they came from China. or they, I didn't know. But here's the thing. How many of y'all, you got fine plates, you don't use them at all? Man, that, that, for such honorable use, maybe the only way you're going to pull them suckers out is if the president or somebody shows up. Maybe the Lord Jesus Christ himself, you pull the china out. Otherwise, everybody else that comes over, we're getting paper plates. <laughs> Mama ain't washing dishes tonight. You know what I'm saying? But what, what he's saying is that there's in, in, in a great house, in God's house, there are people who are making decisions daily in their life as to whether or not they're going to be the fine china used for honorable purpose or if they're just going to be a paper plate. And that, that, that seems harsh, but it's, it's the reality. He's inviting us into something. And, 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 and the question is, some people, the, the, the issue is, is that certain people choose to opt out of being candidates for greater use by God. They just opt out of it. God, I'm content with not being used. 
I'm content with not facing spiritual battles. I'm content with not you using my life to bring other people into freedom. I just sort of want to coast through this Christian thing. And I'll be, I'll be a vessel for you, but I'm going to be one that just is, you know, I'm going to be a paper plate. <laughs> and the Lord says, no, 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 I want you to cleanse yourself from dishonorable things so that you can become a vessel that is used for honorable purpose and prepared for every good work that God wants to do. And people ask the question, well, who does God use? I want God to use me, but who, do God, who's, who does God use? And a lot of people think this. They'll even ask preachers, well, did you go to seminary? Well, yeah, I went to seminary. But can I tell you this? I can promise you this. The Lord's hand is not on my life because I went to seminary. Matter of fact, in seminary, it was probably one of the weakest I I had been in my life in my Christian walk. People say, well, it's because they go to seminary. They got a theological education. That's great, but it's not why the hand of the Lord is on somebody's life, and it's not why God uses people. People say, well, maybe it's because sometimes I think I, I, I actually envy people who have like a real positive, upbeat, happy attitude. That's why I love Jeremy so much. Because I don't always have one. <laughs> People are like, man, what a jerk, this guy. <laughs> and then you think, you th- I think, well, the Lord, Lord can use a person like that. He's upbeat, he's positive, he's happy. It's like, it's like he's just bubbling forth with joy. God can use somebody. But that ain't why God uses people either, because they've got char- charismatic, cute personalities. God uses people who are consecrated. Regardless of their background, regardless of their gender, regardless of, of whatever it may be. He uses them because they consecrate themselves for his use. God uses the consecrated. A.W. Tozer said, A man by his sin may waste himself, which is to waste that which on earth is most like God. This is man's greatest tragedy and God's heaviest grief. You were born in the image of God to be used by God for incredible kingdom purposes. And the greatest tragedy is that you will waste your life on lesser things. Amen. You know, I remember when a, a, a fire started my, my life when I first started seeking God, and I thought to myself, in the beginning, how many of y'all are, some of y'all are here at this point. You start seeking God, and you begin to ask yourself this question because your flesh is talking to you and the devil don't want to let you go. What can I do? Y'all ever ask that question? Lord, can I have, like, a, just a, I mean, it ain't that big of a deal if I, look at a little pornography it ain't that big of a deal if i just get drunk once a week (laughs) i mean surely i can smoke a joint on occasion i mean these were the things that were going through my mind these are the things that i'm wrestling with in the flesh wrestled with it from quite some time and i'll be honest with you every now and then there's a little voice that tries to creep back into me and say you know maybe come over here and try this again i'm like shut up that died years ago that died years ago But y'all can relate to me. You know how you start to say, what can I do? What can I get away? And and, and Paul said this, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are beneficial. You can do a lot of things, but is it edifying you in God? Is it moving you toward your destiny? Is your purpose being revealed in God? And I get that it's tough, and I get that the flesh resists it, but you got to get some warrior boots on you. And you got to say, I'm not going to succumb to the flesh and I'm not going to give it control of my life. I'm going to do what I must to silence that voice and say, I'm going with you, God, because you've got purposes for me. And Satan is attacking this with a great onslaught because what he wants is for you to compromise at any cost. It's not about asking what can I do. It's about asking how much of myself can I give. And that's a challenge. It's difficult. Someone told D.L. Moody one time before he began to preach in the United States heavily, he said, the world has yet to see what God will do with a man fully consecrated to him. The world's yet to see what God will do with a person that's fully consecrated to them. Number three, consecration is for power. This is my last point. I want you to consider what we consecrate ourselves to. A lot of people, they will literally give their lives. They will separate everything for their career. How do I get more money? How do I build wealth? How do I do this? Now, here's the thing. We all need a job. We need to work. It's important that we provide for our families and bless God if he gives us a way to make more money in order to bless the kingdom, advance the kingdom, and provide for our families. Thank God if he does that. But there is a place where we move into a level of consecration where we crowd God out in order to pursue that. We we, we consecrate ourselves. Many people, we consecrate ourselves for our hobbies. We shut God out because we are more interested in sports and basketball, and, 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 and so many other things, fishing, 
hunting, video games, social media, all of these. I love golf, but my Lord, I can't give my life to it. <laughs> my life has got to be Christ. I can have hobbies. I can enjoy the gifts of God. But if it crowds out the Lord Himself, it's becoming an idol. It's becoming an idol, and I become a vessel now that has opened myself to the things of the world instead of the things of God. And there's a lot of power available that's not been realized in the modern church. We consecrate ourselves honestly to entertainment. We create time so that we can be entertained, that we can set hours before our phones and before our TVs. And I love, just like the next person, to watch TV and even do a little phone scroll every now and then. That in and of itself is not evil, but I'm saying, I sense the Spirit saying, what can you consecrate? What can you lay down to give me more of your time, to give me more of your resources? Because God brings a special and anointing and power when people consecrate themselves and hunger for Him to come. For heaven to gain space in us, the world must lose. And you have to make a decision. You know, I don't think that God wants to hand out power on any more corrupt vessels either. I don't think it's about a personality. I don't think God just wants to pour His power out on me because I'm the pastor. I sense more than anything that God wants His power to be released on His people who are consecrated and seeking a holy and a pure life. He's not interested in pouring His power out on somebody who's going to live a corrupt life. But what if our lives begin to be a living experiment on how to close the gap between what the Bible promises and what we experience? Have you ever thought about that? Lord, I'm just going to experiment this week. I'm going to start giving you a day where I consecrate myself, a day where I fast, a day where I spend at least an hour in prayer every week, and I give that to you. I'm going to spend a day where there are no screens, there are no TVs, and I just go into the prayer closet. i got a chair setting legitimately in my closet that Andrea has to move around in order to get her clothes on. And that chair reminds me every time I walk into it, it's like the voice of God calling me, set in me, son, I want to meet with you right here. It's a dwelling place. Something for consecration to shut the door on everything else. Some, uh, I was in there the other night, you know, sitting in there, my chair, Andrea was asleep, and I had a big water bottle, and it kicked over, boom, it scared her to death. She was up like, whoa, what's going on in here, you know? Scare your family members. <laughs> With consecration to the Lord. Let freak them out a little bit. You know, we consecrate, we, we could be like, you know what, I'm consecrating myself. We're setting money aside because we're going to take this trip. And everybody's like, oh man, that's amazing. So excited. And I love trips. But if you were to say, man, I'm just setting everything aside. I'm going to give this money away. And I'm, I'm setting everything aside because I just want to seek God like never before. People would be like, it's weird. It's because we're worldly. You can consecrate yourself by getting in a small group and dedicating yourself to those people, praying for those people. You can consecrate yourself by experimenting. Spend a day praying and fasting and pray and say, Lord, who can I pray for today? Who can I bless? Who can I send a message to? Who would you have me go and prophesy over? What do you want me to do? Who can I bless? Experiment. Take a day, pray and fast in the evening say, who can I bless? I'm just talking about moving because all moves of God come through consecrated people. I want to read these scriptures because they're strong, but they're so powerful. And then we're closing. 2 Corinthians 6, 14. It says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. In other words, you're not walking the same direction that unbelievers are walking. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and do not touch the unclean thing and then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. I mean, those are powerful verses. And I know, I know we're not there. I'm not there yet. I'm not speaking this from a place of self-righteousness. I'm, I'm speaking this from a place of absolute hunger and desperation. I know God wants this of me. I know He's asking it of me. And if I'm being honest, wrestling with preaching this message this morning, I almost didn't want to preach it because I didn't want to, it to hold me accountable. 
I preach things like this, and if I don't leave it out, I'm going to stand before God, and he's going to say, you taught that, my man, and you didn't live it. And that's a tremendous weight. And that's why sometimes preachers want to compromise because they don't think they can live what they're preaching. But by the grace of God, he's going to help us pursue him. And when we fall and when we sin and when we struggle, he loves us so much he's going to pick us right back up. He's going to wash us in his blood. He's going to bring us to a place of repentance. And we're going to pray. And when we fail again, He's going to pick us right back up. But with every time, we're going to grow stronger and stronger. And He's going to purify our hearts. And all of a sudden, the power of God's going to begin to come in new ways. And He's going to begin to use us and shape us into a vessel that is fit for His use. I said at the beginning that cleansing plus sacrifice plus dedication equals consecration. So I want to pray through these things with you here. I want you to bow your heads with me and Just take a moment to begin to think about what the Lord's speaking to your heart as we pray through some of these things. Because consecration is first off cleansing. And this is between you and the Lord. I want you to just take a moment to consider these things. Where you may need cleansing in some area of your life. Were you like me? Did you have some involvement in new age or the occult, or some kind of false teaching. It, is, it amazes me how many people, young people that I'm seeing that we're counseling now that, that have dealt in witchcraft and other things like that. It's increasing. A buddy of mine said yesterday he went into the Lush store to buy a bath bomb for his wife. And he saw on the front table there a spell book, witchcraft, and a demon bar of soap. That's mainstream. But is there something there that you need cleansing from? Or you've sought power in other ways. Is there bitterness or unforgiveness in your heart towards someone and you need cleansed of that bitterness? Maybe you need cleansed of your bitterness toward God. God loves you, but He will not anoint your bitterness. And He won't bless your anger. Is there somebody this morning that you need to forgive and you need to release and that needs to happen and you need cleansing in your life? Take a moment to release them, to pray for them, to forgive them. Is there greed in your heart where the spirit of mammon and covetousness has gotten a hold of you and you're choosing to serve money rather than God? How do I get enough to not worry about anything rather than, Lord, how do I steward kingdom resources that you pour into my life as I seek you first? Greed and covetousness can block the kingdom of God in our life. Jesus called it the deceitfulness of riches. Is there anything in your heart you need cleansing from there? You got anxieties and world worries. Jesus said that wealth and worries is the third type of soil. The cares of this life, the anxieties of this life, choke out what God wants to do in your life. Would you give him those burdens and say, Jesus, cleanse me from these anxieties, cleanse me from these worries? Is there behavior that you need cleanse from? Sexual behavior, drunkenness, anger, jealousy, envy, gossip, things that you speak, behavior that Jesus needs to cleanse. And God is so merciful, I'm telling you, He is not here to condemn you this morning. He's not here to expose you this morning. He is here to love you, to extend His grace, and He moves toward you in love in order to cleanse you. And is the Holy Spirit saying, this is something that I need you to allow me to cleanse? Secondly, a sacrifice. Right now, the Holy Spirit may be saying, I need you to give me this portion of your time. I need you to give me this portion of your energy, this portion of your resources, this element of your relationships. God used David Wilkerson. I mentioned this before. God used David Wilkerson in a powerful way because God came to him and said, if you'll give me two hours that you spend watching TV in prayer every night, I will use you in a powerful way. And it transformed his life. And honestly, it birthed a a ministry that thousands have been saved and are still being saved through. But what if we turned our major times of entertainment into intercession? What if we said, Lord, I'm going to be willing to set aside, I'm going to cancel a couple of subscriptions so that I can pray more and draw near to you and spend time in your word. I'm going to give you a day a week of consecration. What can you sacrifice? What's God asking you to lay down? And lastly is dedication. You've never read the Bible? It'd be a great year to do it. Like, like Donald said, you don't want to come to heaven and Habakkuk come up to you and say, Did you, how'd you like my book? 
you're not ready, it's a good time. Dedicate yourself to a small group. Dedicate yourself to prayer. Do you sense in any way God inviting you into this consecration? And it's not about being perfect. It's about being humble enough to say, God, I need you. I need you to cleanse me, and I need you to lead me by your spirit. And so just bring that to him this morning. Lord, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you do what you need to do in our hearts. And as we respond to you in a time of worship, I believe you, God, for powerful cleansing, for powerful conviction, and that, God, by your grace, you would draw us into this invitation of consecration. And, Lord, would you fill us with your Holy Spirit? Would you come and move out everything in our lives that is not of you so that you can take full place in our lives? Day by day, Lord, we ask for your help in Jesus' name.